Okay, welcome to the show, everyone. This is the Innovative Schools Podcast, and I'm your host, Robbie Lamb. The theme for this talk is going to be what every educator needs to know about the brain. And uh, we're going to kind of speak uh, macro a little bit about the brain overall, and then get um, real micro into the real nitty gritty, um, some, um, some real classroom strategies that educators can incorporate to help all of their students. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Sinarski. Uh, Jessica has trained thousands of parents and professionals and maintains a private practice where she incorporates neurofeedback and attachment-based therapeutic models. Jessica founded Brave Brains to help others experience the hope and healing that is possible with a deeper understanding of the brain. She has created a framework based on the concepts introduced in her children's book uh, titled Riley the Brave that is improving outcomes for those affected by ACEs and trauma. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, I've attended several of your trainings and I've learned so much. And, um, you know, one of the main takeaways I've had from watching your training and attending them is, why didn't I learn any of this of this in school? You know, it's so important. Yeah. It's they're, they're great life skills and strategies that really people of all ages um, can use. And um, it's just amazing that not just in higher education for teachers, but just in education for all of us, we didn't really learn a lot about the brain. And, you know, the more I've learned about it, the more I've realized how beneficial that can be. Um, so I was curious, you know, what made you want to get uh, or want to focus specifically on helping teachers and educators um, help their students uh, learn about the brain? What, what kind of got you into, into that area? So I really enjoy getting to start young. A lot of the resources that I've created so far um, kind of track for early childhood education, elementary school, because the, the sooner that kids can learn about their brains and that the adults around them can learn about the brain and filter interpreting behavior through that brain-based model, the better the trajectory. Like we can shift that trajectory early. Mm. And from the mental health side of things, like I, I'm not a teacher in the classroom. And so I, I don't know pedagogy and I don't know the best curriculum for X, Y, and Z and, and all of those things. But I do know that those, all of those pieces will go better if we're all, if we all know how our brains work and how our kids' brains work. And so that's what I kept running into in IEP meetings. And as I would do workshops, there was just such a thirst for this information. And so that has, that has continued to be a focus as I, um, as I have been out there under uh, the umbrella of Brave Brains. Awesome. Great. And we're going to talk more about Brave Reigns and, and your book, probably The Brave, um, a little bit later on. So let's get into it. Um, I'm, this is going to be fascinating. I'm so excited to speak with you about this. Um, on the topic of, you know, what you educators need about need to know about the brain, what's the first thing? Where can we start? Um, what's sort of Brain 101? What do we need to know? Okay, Brain 101. Hold up your hand, fold over your thumb, and close your fist. This is your brain and not the like 80s commercial version of like, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Right. Like I had a lot of questions at that point. So this is your brain. This, your fingers are this good human um, prefrontal cortex. This is where all um, academics happen and your social approach, your connectedness, all of those rich things that we hope are developing in children, that all happens in this upstairs brain, okay? Your other operating system is your downstairs brain. It's your brain stem. It's mm. your it's your limbic system. It's this, it's really deep inside the brain. It's the home of big feelings of fight or flight, freeze. Even when kids sort of shut down, I think of that like the hoodie that's sort of covering the faces. Mm. I'm not opposed to hoodies. I love hoodies, 
Um, but when you see that those kids tucking in, that that might be a freeze response. It might not just be them trying to flip you the bird. It might be that that brainstem freeze response, that self-protectiveness. And your thumb in the middle here is your amygdala. And your amygdala is this teeny tiny um, part of your brain deep inside that acts as the as the fire alarm. So it's it's well the smoke detector, I guess. And for some kids, it functions really well and it just goes off when there really is a fire and they really need that downstairs brain fight, flight, freeze involved. For most, most of us though, we have to work on our amygdalas a little bit. We get false alarms. We get cranky about things that really aren't a big deal. Um, and we, and so what happens, especially for kids who've experienced early life trauma, so um, abuse, neglect, maybe chronic stress of, of poverty, um, maybe some, some mental health issues in the home. All of those experiences mean that their brain is wiring for defense, that it's wiring for solo survival. And that's adaptive. That's not, that's, that's actually a really protective thing that our brains do. But it means that in the classroom, it's gonna be harder for them to keep that operating, that upstairs brain operating system online. And I just think if we pull the like motivation and, and shame out of thinking about the brain and behavior, man, we start to see, we start to mm -hmm. see some differences. And the way I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you can either be operating from your downstairs brain, which is more reactive, more volatile, more angry, more defensive, or you can be operating from your upstairs brain, which is, I think I've heard you say before, like calm and curious, right? Yeah. And, or fast and furious. So that's right. Is it right that you're either in one or the other, you can't be in both. Is that accurate? That's exactly right. So that's, that's a really tricky thing because it, it's state dependent, like your mm. behavior, every human behavior is state dependent. It's either coming from this calm, curious, connected, social connected upstairs brain, or it's coming from fight, flight, freeze, from fast, furious, or frozen. Um, now, now this one's a little bit on a dimmer switch. So you can have a little prickliness, you know, a little bit of that, or, or you can be throwing chairs and swearing and, you know, it, right. it can be big. You can be a little bit shut down and like, non-responsive, or you can be completely in your turtle shell and, um, and really need some help getting out. Um, so yes, it's, it, we're, we are state dependent creatures. We are either in our upstairs brain or downstairs brain. Um, and that's true for adults as well. Mm -hmm. This isn't just a kid thing, right? So my, <laughs> I have three boys and um, they all in their own ways know how to push my buttons. And it's not because they're mean, they're delightful children, but I, I have learned so much about this interpersonal neurobiology stuff in, in parenting because I will find myself flipping into my downstairs brain over something that in the scheme of things is really not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. But it, it hits that emotional part of me that maybe makes me feel like a failure as a mom or um, that my kid's gonna be going to college and still not able to get them, be able to get themselves dressed in the morning, right? Like it's hitting. And so those things can happen as educators or counselors as well, that we start to flip as we feel like we're losing control or feel like um, we're failing, right? That narrative starts to come into our brain mm -hmm. and, and flip that 
into our reactive power and control downstairs brain, which which doesn't help calm another, like if, if our kid in our class is flipping and we're flipping, no, there's no brain regulation <laughs> happening mm-hmm. here, right? So, yeah. And I wanna get into speaking about some triggers here in a moment, um, but the more I've learned about this, it's fascinating, you know, this whole upstairs brain, downstairs brain, fast and furious, calm and curious. I think it's important to know, like that's not just a metaphor. You can hook somebody up from how I understand this. You can hook somebody up to some kind of, you know, EKG machine or, or whatnot in our fMRI machine, actually, I think. And you can see the areas of the brain light up when certain things are happening to them. So the metaphors are helpful, you know, and they're, they're easy. They're help, uh, they help us remember these things, but it's actually true. When you're angry, the part of your brain that's activated, scientifically proven, um, is the lower part of your brain. And when you're That's more right. inquisitive and you're in a good relation, you know, a good relational setting and whatnot, the parts of your brain that are activated are different. So That's right. And you know, it's fascinating, you know, and, and um we can kind of get into triggers here in a moment, but you know, if a student is reacting a certain way in a classroom and you're trying to reason with them, but if they're clearly in downstairs brain, they're not going to be able to process your more conceptual kind of ideas you're trying to get across. Like their brain literally cannot function that way. Is that right? Yes. So you just said the magic word reason. Like if you're trying Mm. to reason with an unreasonable brain, right? Reason doesn't live down here in the downstairs brain. Reason is up here. And so what we want to Um, what we want to do are things when we see a lid flipping is things that help bring safety, help bring, um, help bring calm. We're trying to soothe that little amygdala. Mm. I actually did a workshop for innovative schools on, on amygdala soothing Mm. (laughs) because it's just such an important part of, of functioning in a classroom, especially right now in the middle of a pandemic, but anytime, anytime that we can send messages of safety, both to ourselves and our brains and bodies, as well as to our kids, they're gonna do their times tables better. They're going to engage in class discussion better. They're gonna be able to sit in their seat or maybe they need to stand because sitting is, is, too restrictive for their bodies. Mm-hmm. They need to move a little bit more. And so a little movement sends some safety signals to them so that they can concentrate, so that their upstairs brain can hug their amygdala right. and and stay engaged for all of the wonderful things that that we as educators want them to be able to do, mm-hmm. you know? They don't want to come in and make your life miserable, but it sure feels like it sometimes, right. you know? So I want to talk about some triggers here now, but kind of just to recap what we've talked about so far, you know, what does the edu- what do educators need to know about the brain? I guess first point, you know, upstairs brain and downstairs brain. Secondly, we are state dependent. And um, so depending on what part of the brain you're in, it's going to have a huge influence on how you're behaving. And so now I want to get into triggers. Can you speak about sort of triggers generally? I think we all kind of know basically sure. what they are, but the more that I've been reading this in preparation for this uh, conversation with you, the brain's ability to sort of rewire itself and how, how just triggers are formed in general is fascinating. So could you just speak um, a little bit about triggers so we can kind of understand sure. how powerful um, those can, those truly can be? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we've talked before about 
how something may have happened in a child's past and maybe the, the person was wearing the color red. And so suddenly a shirt with the color red um, is, or just the color red can, can send a little danger signal to that amygdala because our amygdalas, especially if we've experienced unsafe settings, get very sensitized. It's trying to keep you alive. And so it's going to be, instead of just smelling smoke far away, I mean, instead of just smelling smoke up close, it's trying to detect the smoke um, a mile away, right? I had a kid once who told me, um, we were we were talking through some stuff. He was trying to figure out how to get his his upstairs brain to be in charge more in safe settings, but he had lived in some really unsafe settings. And so when um, he had developed this, this skill, I mean, it's an incredible that he could smell when a gun came out. Now I'm, wow. I'm a white girl who's lived in pretty safe settings my whole life. And I didn't need that skill, right? I haven't been in an environment when I needed that skill. That skill helped keep him alive. His amygdala connected to his, his sensory system so that he could smell danger, literally. And, and so what he was trying to do you know, in his teenage years and, and early adulthood was figure out, okay, what settings do I need that to be on? And when can I, when can I not, when I, which relationships are safe and which aren't, which environments are safe and which aren't, man, what a fantastic upstairs brain exercise he's, he's going through. And so for our little ones, they don't necessarily have words for that. Right. So, you, you know, as I, <laughs> I'm thinking of the teachers listening right now who are like, I can't know the color red or the, you right. know, whatever the triggers are for every yeah, student in my class. Exactly. Of course not. Of course you can't. And that's not realistic, right? Mm -hmm. So take a breath, right. let your upstairs brain come back online because <laughs> you don't have to. What you can start doing is incorporating um, just other things that build felt safety in the classroom environment, mm. a culture of safety in your classroom, in your school, right? For administrators who are listening right now that that one of our primary focal points should be calming amygdalas to, to um, let brains and bodies be calm so that we can engage. And it's confusing because sometimes brains and bodies being calm means that they need to move more, not less, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it goes, yeah, you want somebody to be calm, but um, we're going to get to some strategies here in a minute, but I know some of the strategies to calm a brain or actually to like excite the body and so yeah it could, it could look a little different but that's you know that that story you told about um that child who could smell a gun I think that's it's just like jaw dropping but I think it, it's a great um it's a great point you're making and a great example you know because it demonstrates how the brain itself rewires itself to safety right and mm -hmm. I know not everybody listening to this, obviously, but I know in some of the broader conversations we have with society now, you know, the word trigger gets pulled, put, um, put out there a lot. And, yeah. you know, some folks might say, well, they're just being too sensitive or they need to grow up or they need to toughen up or whatever. And I know educators as a whole probably don't think that way, but broadly speaking, I know those comments get made. But I think the important part of this is, you know, these are subconscious sort of triggers a lot of times. And not only are subconscious, they're the brain itself right? The brain has right. re rewired itself quite literally 
to protect itself based on whatever, um, uh, you know, some element that was present in a traumatic moment. And that can be anything from the, a color to a word to um, somebody's tone of voice. It can, the way I've heard about trauma is when a traumatic event happens, your brain takes a snapshot and everything yeah. in that snapshot becomes a potential danger. Right. And it's not contextualized. So that's the other exactly. thing, especially right. with chronic trauma. It's not, it's not put in the context of time and space. Your, your hippocampus, your memory storage mm -hmm. shrinks and your amygdala grows. Like there's mm -hmm. literally, um, it's fascinating. I was just looking back at some old research on this. Not that old. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, it, it is, it's a brain thing. I feel like most of my talks could be titled like, he's not trying to be a jerk <laughs> or you're not a bad person. You, you're just working from the wiring that your brain developed. And the good news is we can rewire brains. Mm -hmm. That's that's my whole mission is to mm -hmm. help equip adults and kids to rewire their brains. Because, you know, I talked about the, um, the upstairs brain and downstairs brain operating systems. And so really what we're, what our focus is, is where are the highways? Because our brain lays down these, um, literally these myelinated, these sort of insulated wires in, in our brain. That's what our neurons put mm -hmm. together. And we are either wiring for calm, curious connection, or we are wiring for survival. We're wiring for self-protection. And it doesn't feel good to the, to the adults in our lives, but it's adaptive, right? So it doesn't feel good if somebody throws a tantrum because you're wearing a red shirt. You don't know that it's because you're wearing a red shirt, right. um, but it's not, they're not trying to be mean. And it doesn't even have to be that. It can just be it, like the nervous system just sort of gets heightened. So it doesn't even have to be a red shirt. It's just that, that I'm running here. I feel like the pandemic has opened a lot of people's eyes to what that sort of chronic um, heightened arousal feels like yeah. or de depressed arousal. So that, that freeze response that most of the kids that I work with are experiencing their whole lives. So, so whatever, if you've noticed that in yourself living through this pandemic, imagine that chronically, imagine that being your entire, like not knowing any different. Ooh, it's intense. And it really amps up the level of, um, it pulls the, the shame and intentionality back from it. Like maybe you're snapping at your partner a little bit more, or maybe you have a little less patience for your kids or a little less energy for learning new things, right? As your admin team is telling you to learn 1700 new things. <laughs> I get it, right? Um, that's what's going on in a brain that's experienced a high number of, of adverse childhood experiences or trauma. It's not your job to heal all the trauma. Mm -hmm. So again, I just want to relieve you of that burden. There, there, I'm training therapists as well. <laughs> so there are, there are more therapists out there doing this kind of work, but we can apply this to the classroom. And so mm -hmm. that's really my, my hope when I work with educators, it's not to turn you into a therapist. It's to help you tune into where you are in your brain and body and where your students are in their brain and body. So we can regulate that because if you spend 30 seconds regulating that, you'll have a much more productive 14 and a half minute math lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I right? kind of, exactly. And I want to get into some of those classroom strategies. So great transition on your end, because that's where I wanted to get to. So now that we kind of have a general understanding of the brain, 
the ability is just amazing ability to rewire itself for protection or for safety, um, how triggers are formed and that they're not just sort of emotional triggers are actually hardwired into the brain. And in some cases, in um, you know, a child's you know, their higher their ACEs score or, uh, you know, the more, maybe the more difficulty that, that they've had growing up or in their current situation that can limit their ability to operate in their upstairs brain. So knowing all of that, uh, that's great information for, for everybody to know, uh, classroom teachers, especially knowing all that, um, where can we begin to speak to our students about the brain? How can we talk to them about the brain? And, um, you know, the brain can be kind of complicated using big words, right? Like you're just talking neuroplasticity and neurons and all this, right? That can be very complicated, especially for, for our younger students. So where do you recommend teachers start um, or how can they start speaking to their students about the brain? I think to, to um, I'm seeing more and more educators doing this. So that's really exciting. And there are a number of different things out there um, to explain it. I think this, this hand model, the house model, that upstairs, downstairs, is just so easy to grab onto. Mm -hmm. For your older students, you might also find thinking of it as operating systems. So your upstairs brain is a more updated operating mm -hmm. system where your downstairs brain is that that older operating system that's really just trying to not crash. Like it's really just about, you know, maybe it shuts down more because it, it's trying to not, or it, or it sort of fights back, right? Like you get this, <laughs> these, these um, unhelpful components pop. in it. Yeah. These pop-ups. Pop-up windows. Yeah. yeah. You're like, no, no, not helpful. Um, right. So there, like those kinds of metaphors in the Riley the Brave books. Um, I don't actually say the word brain in it, but you see mm. these downstairs brain. Well, I do in the afterward for grownups, but in the story itself, I don't, because some of our kids with trauma can get really, it's a survival thing, can can feel self like self-protective if you start talking about them or their brains. And so it can be easier to introduce it in animal form, mm -hmm. like having a tiger moment or having a turtle moment, that that seems to be an easier way for kids to grab onto it. So there's there's lots of ways. Um, I would encourage you, I'm continuing to develop um, more ways to, to talk about this. So if you hop over to bravebrains.com and sign up for the newsletter, you'll get some of that information along the way. I'm making videos and there's a bunch of free resources for educators on the site. Great, and I'll make sure to share a link to, to just your website overall in the description, as well as I know you have, as you mentioned, several um, sort of free resources on there where you've taken a lot of research and you've kind of simplified it into, you know, kind of a one or two page document to kind of synthesize the main points that teachers need to know. Um, I wanted to mention, you know, again, the more I've learned, honestly, a lot from you and some of the other prisoners that we have at our at the Innovative School Summit, it's been fascinating to learn about this because, as I mentioned, I never learned this in school or even in college, quite honestly. And it's been fascinating because, as you mentioned a few moments ago, the good news is we can change our states, right? Science has proven these strat there are strategies out there that allow us to kind of re-regulate ourselves and move us into upstairs brain when we're when we feel ourselves descending. So that's the good news is yes. we can change our mindsets, number one. And number two, um, just personally, but I think this would apply to other people. Um, you know, we as humans, we like mastery, right? We like to accomplish something and get better at things. So yeah. these strategies that we're gonna get into in a few minutes, they're helpful to change your state, but the more you realize they work, sort of the more mastery you feel like you have over your brain. Um, yeah. I think a lot of us think, you know, 
well, I'm in a bad mood and so I'm going to operate this way or so-and-so said something and now I'm angry. Whereas these strategies allow you, rather than your brain controlling you, you can kind of control your brain in a way and have mastery right. over and which is just fascinating. And um, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because, you know, that message needs to be out there more, right? We don't have to be victims yeah. of our circumstances always. We can have some influence in how we react to those things. Right. Right. I think of, um, so I think the danger sometimes with the discussion of ACEs is sort of this, this, oh, oh, poor baby, but mm. superheroes are born of adversity. They need connection wow. to get there. Right. So the villain stories usually have very, they're very similar backstories for a villain and a superhero. I mm-hmm. love that. St- I love superhero stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, the villain didn't get the connection, you know, they stayed in the orphanage or they had, they were bullied after they were, they lost their parent or those kinds of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the superheroes, they had an uncle that came along that was safe for them, or they, they made, you know, the power of one safe adult is, mm-hmm. is huge um, as a preventive measure because we are relational creatures and for our brains to be well-connected, we need to connect to another well-connected brain. We need, we need relationship to be able to heal, especially to heal relational trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to look up a quote real quick. Actually, I read this in a book recently. Um, this is from a book called The Body Keeps Score, which I highly recommend folks uh, mention. But um, it's a book all about how the brain rewires itself um, in traumatic environments and how you can use the body to help heal itself. But there's a quote in there that is really relevant to what you just said. Um, The roots, the quote is, the roots of resilience are to be found in the sense of being understood by and existing in the mind and heart of a loving, attuned, and self-possessed other. Yeah. So, as you just mentioned, our it's fascinating that you're basically what it's saying is resiliency, a key component is resiliency is knowing that you're held in the mind of another person. Yeah. Which is yeah. fascinating. And yes, it's exactly what you're just saying, right? The hero well, and that's is- my hope here. Mm-hmm. That that's part of why I'm passionate about getting this word out to everyone, including educators, because I know your job is hard. It's next to impossible. I can't imagine. And, and so it can, it can lead you to your downstairs brain naturally, like Mm. that would be a natural place to go when you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed. And so when you're, when you're in your downstairs brain and a kid is in their downstairs brain, neither of you are holding each other well Mm. in, in your minds. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I can help a little bit to empower those messages, if I can send those safety messages to you so that you can send those safety messages to your kiddo that they're not, they're not, there's no such thing as a bad student. There are brains wired for defense that we're working on. We're working on it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we can catch those upstairs brain moments because I promise every single student has them and and nurture those connections and highways in the brain. It's, it's that the impact is, you know, breathtaking. It's really a wonderful Mm -hmm. thing to behold. Real quick. um, So we talked a lot about the brain and you've shared some fascinating information with us. So given everything that we've learned so far, what are some strategies you recommend that teachers can implement classroom wide? You know, as you mentioned, a teacher can't know every student's trigger and they can't help the student solve every single one of their triggers. You know, that that's not necessarily their role. And 
it's just not possible to do that in a classroom full of 30 children. So that said, what are some strategies a classroom teacher can implement, you know, after they teach students about upstairs, downstairs brain and use, you know, age appropriate language? What can a, how can a teacher sort of, what are some strategies a teacher can implement and or teach their students to sort of help self-regulate themselves? Yes. So I will keep this as succinct as possible because I could talk about this forever. Um, first things first, figure out where you are in your brain. So pause, take a breath. Um, if you need to go to the cool down corner or tap out for a second, you know, talk with your administration to, to put those systems in place because a dysregulated brain cannot, co cannot help regulate another brain. So, so we have to tune into ourselves. It's not, there's no shame in it, right? We all flip, we all have porcupine moments. So first check in with yourself and your brain and body. Um, the second thing I would say is connection before correction. So if you find yourself, this is especially true for the kid that pushes your buttons and you know the one, right? You're listening to this and you're like, ooh, no, but he is a tiger. He is, he is a bad student. I know it feels like it. I know it feels like it sometimes, but he's, he's a brave cub. He's a brave kid trying to survive the best way that he knows how. And so holding some compassion in your head and choosing, choosing a little moment of connection before you go into correction. Another really helpful strategy is incorporating felt safety. So, um, so I, I'll hear, teachers talk sometimes about using their teacher voice, using their stern, and it's usually accompanied with a furrowed brow and like a pointed finger. Right. And again, I say this with tremendous compassion. I get it. Um, I, I do things as a mom. I just never imagined I would, you know, mm -hmm. tones of voice and things that I never imagined I would, I would do. However, for a child who's experienced trauma, the, even that furrowed brow can be interpreted as threat. So, so take a breath, muster some warmth in your eyes, um, even getting, getting down on their level. So for your younger students um, or for a student at a desk, it's a very different feeling to come in like this mm -hmm. than it is to come in face to face. So those little body postural changes, those are tremendously important for reaching the downstairs brain and, and waking up the upstairs brain. Another strategy, and again, I could go on and on, so I'll stop with mm -hmm. this. Well, two more, I'm gonna give you two more. So one is uh, play. Anytime you can incorporate just a little bit of playfulness, even if it's um, a silly video break or um, you know, just little ways to incorporate some play. Play lives in the upstairs brain. Mm -hmm. So that is a fantastic way to wire that little brain that, oh, when I'm in school, there's some safety and connection and I can be calm and curious. So whenever you can do things in a playful way, that kudos. Lastly, think about all of the senses. So not just the five that we know of, but do some digging around on the vestibular sense and the proprioceptive sense because kids need a lot more twisting, turning, swinging, bouncing, banging, crashing than they're getting these days, mm -hmm. especially in this digital you know, time that we're doing so much digitally, virtually. So building in um, true brain breaks where we're moving our body, we're trying, maybe everybody gets around the classroom and tries to push down the wall. Um, oh, 
Oh, let's push really hard, push really hard. Oh, we didn't get it again. Okay, I guess we'll have to tiptoe to our seats and sit back down. The walls are still standing. I guess it's really safe in here, right? Mm -hmm. So you're filtering in a little felt safety, a little proprioceptive input, a little play, and that down-regulating of tiptoeing to your seat so that you're, you're ready for that calm, curious brain to be engaged. Um, that, I've heard you talk about that proprioceptive sense before, and that's fascinating. You know, as you when I heard, you know, you, you explained it in one of your trainings, you know, you mentioned we've got, everybody knows the senses of touch, sense, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but we have a sense of balance, which is what that proprioceptive yeah. sense is. And so just that's by vestibular. Doing, the balance oh, one's vestibular. Okay. That's okay. I thought I was complicated okay. words. Thanks. Uh, but your vestibular sense, which as you mentioned, is your sense of balance. That's yeah. a sense we don't really think about, but if you can all, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way I understood it, and I've tested it on myself and it seems to work. If you can play with your sense of balance, all of a sudden your body has to pay attention to how balanced you are. And it can't think about, you know, some trigger or some, it's more difficult for it to be in fear or whatever, if, cause mm -hmm. it has to pay attention to how balanced you are. And mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you're trying to, the way I think of it, you're sort of forcing that brain out of, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, and you're forcing it to pay attention to your balance. And even, so it's like an instant trigger to bring you back to, yeah, well, it can definitely right? be a here and now, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, sort of pulling yourself back to the here and now as right. opposed to, because trauma triggers send us, send us exactly. to the past. Yeah, that that's great. And, um, and especially for our young ones, they just, they need lots of, mm -hmm. lots of experiences of twisting and turning and swinging and bending and crawling. And those, those all literally lay the foundations of of your brain, your sensory system is how your brain takes in all information. And so if that's a little out of whack, we've got kids who are super dysregulated. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's great. As you mentioned, you could talk about this for hours. I personally could talk about it all day with you as well, yes. um, but I know you have to get out of here in a few minutes. So um, real quick, I wanted to mention um, as or allow you to uh, talk a little bit more about it. As I mentioned at the top, I know you have a book uh, titled Riley the Brave that's actually being re-released. Um, I think it was re-released last week, actually. There you go. Um, so tell us real quickly uh, about Riley the Brave and uh, where folks can find it if they're interested in getting a copy. Sure. So Riley the Brave is, um, it's the little cub with big feelings. It is a really engaging picture book story and you can find it wherever books are sold. So however your school typically purchases books, you should be able to find it there. And the, the story is super engaging and doesn't have too many words so that kids, even with trauma histories, can, um, can connect. And then there's an afterword for grownups, along with a whole resource library online to help you make the most of it. One of the, one of the pieces that I've created that I have found to be really helpful in classrooms are there's some posters around upstairs brain moments and climbing out of your downstairs brain. So those can be ways in, especially in elementary school to sort of check in, where are you in your brain today? Um, kinds of things. And there's another Riley book coming out next year um, to help with some of those transitions and model some of the things that tend to be helpful for kids when they are dealing with dealing with their downstairs brains. <laughs> Great. And I, I wanted to mention, you know, for the Riley the Brave book, I've, you know, it's illustrated and I know it's geared towards younger children. And 
there are some real life lessons in Rally the Brave that adults can definitely benefit from. It, you know, it speaks about trauma and ACEs and empathy and social emotional learning. So even though all the language and all the illustrations is definitely geared towards younger children, the lessons in there and um, uh, just information kind of, you've done a great job of teaching children about the brain in such an easy to comprehend manner. Um, but even if you're an adult and you've enjoyed this conversation today, I'd recommend picking up that book. I personally have learned from the book, and I think you know any adult would learn just as much as a, as a child would learn from uh, from reading it as well. So, uh, your Thanks, website. Brian. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for writing it I've, and uh, being with us today. So, your website is bravebrains.com, correct? Yes, bravebrains.com. There are also there. It's it's a little confusing. Just to keep you on your toes, there's also okay. rileythebrave.org. Okay. And um, there's a parents' corner on there that a number of schools have shared with their, you know, their parent community that has some free resources as well. And that's where you'll find posters and those kinds of things too. Great. So I'll share some links to those in the description. And also, I know you have, as you know, I'm a fan of your Instagram. Uh, what's your Instagram handle? At rileythebrave. R I L E Y. Great. And um, I recommend everybody follow Jessica as well. What she posts is very creative and it's very educational. And, you know, add her to your Instagram and every day or a couple times a week, you'll learn a little bit more about the brain just by scrolling through Instagram. So I recommend folks check that out as well. Um, Jessica, before we get out of here, um, I'll give you the floor. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience? I, um, I just so value what you're doing and my role hopefully is to be a support to you. There's another book coming out, What's Inside Your Backpack with National Center for Youth Issues to keep unpacking the stuff that weighs us down. So I hope you'll check that out. I try to keep as much as I can free to, to get it into your hands and, and make it accessible for you and the students that you love. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. And Jessica will be, uh, she's presented at several of our past Innovative School Summits. And um, I'm sure in 2021, uh, we will have her back um, both on site, hopefully, and uh, virtually for our, <laughs> I know we're all hoping to get back to some, uh, some on site conferences here soon. So uh, you can find information about any of those upcoming events at innovativeschoolsummit.com. Jessica, thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Robbie.